0: So Leviticus, chapter one, starting at verse one. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, "Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock." If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons. Uh, The priests shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all the sides at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs of water and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, he is to offer a male without defect. He is to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle its blood against the altar on all sides. He is to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat on the burning wood that is on the altar. He is to wash the inner parts and and the legs of water, and the priest is to bring all of it and burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, he is to offer a dove or a young pigeon The priest shall bring it to the altar, uh, wring off the head and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop with its contents and throw it into the east side of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not severing it completely, And then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is on the fire of the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire an aroma pleasing to the Lord.
1: Hey, everyone. Nice to see you all after a long time. I've missed you. Uh, In fact, me and my wife, we've both missed you. Um, (laughs) Thank you. So, yes, Andes gave me the absentee at church uh, the honor of preaching uh, a New Year sermon today. Uh, Agreed last week was the New Year's first Sunday. But uh, here at Grayspace, Space, as Andes said, this is our first meeting. So Happy New Year, everyone. Uh, for, for, for those of you who are new or have already forgotten me, or maybe haven't met me before, uh, my name is Jetty and uh, I've been an absentee because um, we've recently become parents and uh, we're keeping our son, Michael, uh, safe at home. And uh, he is a handful, that's why uh, they're, they're not here uh, uh, today. Uh, might I also digress just a little bit more to thank you all for your prayers and uh, for all of you who have helped us in, in so many ways. We're really very grateful for all of that. So thank you. Thank you very much. But let's get back. So New Year, uh, I'm sure that many of you have started a Bible reading plan. If you haven't, you should. Uh, and if you have, uh, I think today's sermon will be helpful for you. Um if, 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 you're, if you have an idea of finishing the Bible in a year, I'm sure you started last week. And uh, I thought I'd preach on Leviticus because it is, as Andres was saying, it's, it's quite difficult, and as Claude said, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing you explain all of this. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intimidating book, and uh, Christians don't really know what to do with it. They read all these instructions about burnt offerings and sin offerings, and it's quite repetitive. And uh, what happens is it's either read as a chore, you just do it just to get through with it, or you skim through it, or you just skip it. Uh, once, once you hit Exodus 20, that's, that's sort of the last chapter, and then uh, it's, it's a blank, and then you get back to some narrative, and then you're fine. So today I want to help you with that, with that issue so that you can study the Word of God, uh, not just read it, but study it and be edified by it. So let me start by giving a little bit of background to the book of Leviticus. Uh, As again, as Andres mentioned, it's right after Exodus. And uh, in in a lot of ways, it is a continuation of the book of Exodus. Uh, In Exodus, we read the moral requirements that God has for his people. We read the 10 commandments. And right after that, God gives uh, very detailed instructions on how to build a tent of meeting or tabernacle and uh, this, this tent was necessary so God could dwell amongst His people. But in the end of Exodus, what we read is, uh, if, if you have your Bibles, you can just quickly glance through it, you'll read that um, they build a tabernacle, it's all ready, and the glory of God descends on it, and not, not a single person is able to go inside it. And uh, that's, that's problematic because the entire goal of it was for God to be able to be with His people. So, Leviticus deals with that problem. It, it details a lot of ceremonial laws and sacrifices so that the sinful people can be made right with God so that God can dwell amongst His people. Uh, if I have to briefly tell you about the sermon, uh, I will be talking how, talking about how the law does not save us. It only shows us our shortcomings and our need for salvation. The law pointed to Christ and our need for Christ. And, and what I hope to achieve today is to show you how Leviticus does that, how, how the first seven chapters of Leviticus does that, and, uh, so that you will be able to apply the same sort of uh, ideas to the entirety of the Old Testament and have a fruitful time reading your Old Testament. So let's get on with it. Uh, in, in Leviticus chapter one, we read the first offering that God instructs Moses about, and that is the burnt offering. So this burnt offering, it could be a bull, it could be a sheep, or it could be a goat. And if the person was unable to offer any of those, this person, he could, he could bring a dove or, or a young pigeon. And uh, these animals we read, they're supposed to be male, and uh, they're supposed to be without defect. In Genesis chapter three, uh, we read the story of the fall, and uh, right after the disobedience, God primarily talks with Adam. He he asks him, "What have, what have you guys done?" And the main reason that God talks to Adam and not Eve is because Adam represents his family. The man is a representation for his his entire family, and in the same way, this male animal was necessary because it represented. <coughs> The person bringing the animal. This animal had to be without defects. Uh, these defects could be either in appearance or it could be in health. This, this animal had to be without defects. And this, this signifies that as sinners, we are defective. We, we do not appear nice to God. And anything that is representing us should be perfect without any defect. So after bringing this animal to the priest, Uh, At the tabernacle, the person would lay his hands on the animal, he would confess his sins on it, and it pictured a transfer of his sins or her sins onto that animal. And once the sins were uh, confessed on it, this this made the animal acceptable as as an atonement for the person. Uh, And then the offerer, the person who brought the animal, would kill it. So atonement is a technical word. Uh, some of you might not know what it means. Uh, it simply means to cover, to cover, right? And uh, this animal, it covered the sins of the offer and died in his place. And uh, we particularly call this substitutionary atonement because the animal is the substitute for the person. So I believe at this point all of you have made the connection between the burnt offering and Jesus Christ. How, how this burnt offering points to Christ. The righteous one, the one without any defect, died for the unrighteous. God the Father, the Bible says, He laid upon Christ the iniquity of us all, and we killed Him, and He covered or atoned for our sins. The once for all sacrifice of Christ atoned for sins, making it possible for us to be counted as righteous, and He provides eternal life to all who put their faith in him. But there's more about the burnt offering. So the skilled animal's blood would then be splashed on the altar, on the sides of the altar. And uh, this signified, again, the animal's life uh, taken instead of the offerer's life. The animal was then skinned and cleaned before being completely burned on the altar. Hence the name burnt offering. So even though it pictures the atonement, something absolutely essential, uh, this, this sacrifice is called a free will offering. It means that you don't have an obligation to make it. It was voluntary. You had to voluntarily come up with a burnt, burnt offering. It was not mandatory. What that, what that tells us, what we can understand from it, is that this was not for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, We have another offering that we will uh, discuss, the sin offering, which is for the forgiveness of sins, and that was mandatory. But here, this is voluntary, free will. So if it doesn't forgive sins, what does it signify to the offerer? It signified a repentant heart. It signified the acknowledgement of the cost and the magnitude of sin in your life. It also signified a complete self-dedication as the entirety of the animal was burned on the altar. You cannot do it, but that animal does it in your place. In Romans 12, chapter 1, uh, Paul urges the readers to offer themselves in a similar manner, uh, their bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And uh, he, he even says that this is proper worship, that you offer your entire body as a living sacrifice to God. So. When you know a little bit about the burnt offering, you understand more about what Paul is saying there. It's not just about claiming, okay, my life is for God. It's about having that heart of repentance, knowing that your sin costs so much for for God to save you and you dedicate your life as if you're entirely burnt on the altar for God. And I think knowing a little bit about the burnt offering adds a lot to our reading of the New Testament so the next offering we have is the grain offering. In this offering, one could offer unbaked flour mixed with olive oil, salt, and frankincense, or you could cook this mixture in the oven as, as bread, or you could even cook it in a pan. So this bread, it must be unleavened, that is no yeast, it should be flat bread. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 2, we can read, he, that is the priest, shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and oil, with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." Here also we see a foreshadowing of Christ. The fine flour is similar to the animal without defect. Uh, Another very, very beautiful thing I read was, uh, for flour to be fine, it has to be ground, it has to be crushed has to be crushed repeatedly for it to become very fine. So two, two, two pictures there. Olive oil, it symbolizes anointing. Uh, the title Christ or Messiah, if you did not know, it meant the anointed of the Lord. And yeast, which was prohibited, we know is a symbol of sin and, uh, and pride. And we know that Christ was sinless, he was perfect, and he humbled himself on the cross, uh, and he was the servant of all mankind. Salt was also always added, and uh, the salt, it, symbol- it symbolized loyalty to the covenant. And again, Christ was the only one who was completely loyal. If you make anything with yeast in your home, you know that if you salt it too much, it won't have a good enough effect. So there's that also. So again, this, this grain offering is also a freewill offering. And uh, as we read in Leviticus 2.2, 2, it was called a memorial offering. Uh, and this this offering was a thanksgiving to God, remembering His grace, His providence, His mercy, his faithfulness, anything that you wanted to be thankful for and uh, Often this grain offering it went together with other sacrifices. Uh, these five offerings they were often put together. you could have the burnt offering peace offering and and grain offering so for example if if you were to offer a grain offering and you offered this uh, if you were to offer a burnt offering and you offered this grain offering, you were being thankful to God for the grace that He has given you that you can make atonement for your sins somehow. How is it applicable for us today? Today we do not offer bread to God, but God offers bread to us. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, and as you can see, we will do it today. And uh, here, in, in the Lord's Supper, Christ, ask, Christ asks us to remember Him, to remember His death, and, and to proclaim His death until He returns. Jesus also explicitly claimed that He was the bread of life, that, and that He gave it for the world so that the world might have life. And it really adds a depth of understanding to the Lord's Supper. We do not bring some grain offering to God, but God gives us heavenly bread that gives us eternal life and we're to receive it with thanksgiving. So then we have the third one and final freewill offering, just a fellowship offering or peace offering in, in some other translations. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 3. And uh, this offering is very similar to the burnt offering, but it has some significant differences Here, the animal can be male or female, uh, because it did not represent the sinner. The second major difference is that the entire animal is not burnt on the altar. So in Leviticus chapter 3, verse 3 and and 5, And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. Then Aaron's sons shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord." So the fat that is mentioned in these verses, it's uh, specifically the fat that's covering the internal organs. It's not the fat that you find with your cuts of meat uh, at, at the butcher, it's, it's fat that's inside the animal. Uh, This this fat was considered the best part of the animal and this best part was given to God. And from the rest of the animal, the priest would get a portion and the offerer and his family would get a portion. And uh, all of this meat, it was eaten inside the tabernacle. These differences, they show us that this peace offering or fellowship offering it was not meant to atone for sin or, uh, or, or for the forgiveness of sins. It was eaten in God's dwelling place, and it signified peace and fellowship with God. The killing of the animal and the splashing of the blood on the altar, they again show the cost of sin and the grace of God in making a way for us sinners to commune with God. Uh, if, you, if you also noticed in those verses, uh, you, could have heard, you would have heard that you shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering. So there has to be already a burnt offering for you to have peace with God. So this peace offering, it portrays another work of Christ, which is reconciling God and man. Christ, by dying on the cross, on the cross he, he not only atones for our sins, He not only covers that, but He also reconciles us to God. Making us a part of God's household, uh, which is a theme I hope you remember from our study in 1 Timothy. Peace with God is an often forgotten aspect of uh, of Christ's work we we forget it very often uh, I don't know how um, my, maybe I can ask this question how often have you have you thought oh, I don't feel like reading the Bible because I just did this or you know, some some sort of feeling like that. I, I don't feel like praying because I don't feel I'm right with God. You have this sense of guilt, and that somehow prevents you from from talking to God or praying to God or even reading the Bible. Maybe even coming to church. <clears throat> but the work of Christ is, is the perfect solution for that. Despite all the sins that we have committed, we can have peace with God. And uh to have that peace with God, we have to be in Christ. We, we can be assured that there is grace for us. And how amazing is this picture of peace? You commune with God in His house, having a meal with God. And uh, it's also a picture of the church. We're all gathered together. God's Word is providing spiritual food for us. And it's all possible because Christ died for us on the cross. We can be sure today that there is no condemnation, even as we continue to fail our moral requirements every day. We can approach God at all times in Jesus' name. So these were all the three free will offerings. You brought it voluntarily. The last two I'm going to put together uh, because they are very closely related, and they are both mandatory offerings. They're called a sin and guilt offering. So these are not voluntary, these are mandatory. So if a person sins unintentionally and realizes he has sinned, he has to bring a a sin offering or a guilt offering. So the person that's um, making these offerings, he, he decides a sin offering or guilt offering based on one important difference. The sin offering, it compensates God. The guilt offering compensates God and anyone else you have wronged. So for in, in the guilt offering, you would bring a ram, that's the compensation to God, and you would pay back any sort of damage to a person. So let's, let's consider that you, had, uh, you cost someone 100 euros. Uh, according to this law, you would pay back 100 and add 20 euros to it. So you would pay back 120. In addition to this ram that you offer at the temple. So, this, this really shows us that all, of, all sin is against God. You either do it directly against God, for example, in idolatry, you know, it's directly against God, there's no one else involved. Or it's indirect. You harm a person who is created in God's image, and you still have to compensate God and this person. So one thing you will notice about these sin and guilt offerings, if you read chapters 4 to 6, is that the pleasant aroma that we read, that we can read about in the first three chapters is no longer frequently mentioned. The animal does not represent you or stand in for you. The animal is the compensation for sin. A person who cannot even afford birds, he can offer flour as a sin offering, but here there is no olive oil or frankincense. It is not anointed bread or or sweet-smelling bread. The sin offering being the penalty is not pleasant, it is unpleasant. Uh, The sin offering was also prescribed based on the sinner. Uh, A priest, the entire congregation of Israel, a leader in Israel, or a common individual of Israel, each of them had different sin offerings. And this is because the person who's sinning is, is important. So if the priest sins, he brings guilt upon the entire nation. Uh, and if the entire congregation of Israel is sinful and has to offer an offering, that's also something big. So they, have, they had different regulations. So let me, let me just focus on one thing here. In the sin offering for a priest and the entire nation, the blood was taken into the tent, into the tabernacle, and it was sprinkled before the veil, the veil covering the Holy of Holies. And then the blood was also touched on the altar of incense, which was just before the veil. If this blood was taken in, and this is the case only with the sins of the priest and the sins of the entire nation, uh, if this blood was taken in, the body of the animal was burnt outside the camp of Israel. It's like, you know, if it was Riga, you have to take it outside Riga to burn it. What that shows us is the greater the sin, the greater the unpleasantness of the body that was sacrificed. And if you read in the Gospels, you will notice that Jesus was crucified outside the city gates. And in Hebrews, uh, I don't want to go into this, but uh, I hope you can find some time to read in Hebrews. You will read that. Jesus' blood entered the Holy of Holies and sprinkled us clean. Even though His body was crucified outside the city walls, His blood enters the Holy of Holies and we are sprinkled clean. And because of that, we can come to God clean. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says, Jesus, who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It's not just some arbitrary sentence that Jesus became sin, it was extremely real. He became so unpleasant to God's sight that when He died, He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Isaiah pretty much spells it out in 50, in, in chapter 53 verse 10. He says, the Lord makes His life an offering for sin. In the sin offering, Jesus is our propitiation. This is another technical word, and it means to appease the wrath of someone. Uh, I I see some married men here. Uh, If you make your wife angry, you have to do something in order to gain back the peace, right? I don't know. Maybe it's a bouquet of flowers. I'm still experimenting. But in, 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 with God, such things do not work. We cannot bring something to God to appease his anger. Uh, only Jesus, taking the judgment for us upon himself, he takes away God's wrath from us. Jesus is also our guilt offering in that he restores us from being sinners to being justified sinners. He restores us, He restores our lives, He restores our relationships. He makes it possible for us to make compensation to others. He makes it possible for us to forgive debts. But on a much larger scale, in Romans 8, uh, we read and also in song number eight, we sang that creation groans for or longs for the freedom from corruption Creation longs for the restoration that Christ will bring at His second coming. And this is something that we cost. Cursed is the ground on account of you, right? But Jesus restores all that in His second coming. So to conclude, I, I, I hope you now see that Leviticus is not really boring. Outwardly, sure, it, it looks boring, it looks repetitive. but there is a real possibility for us to engage with even Leviticus uh, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, and I really focused only on a very limited number of things in these, in these chapters uh, for the sake of time and for the sake of making sense uh, to, to all of you. But if you, if you take your time and read it, you will find a lot of smaller details. Uh, let me maybe give one example. Uh, the guilt offering is a ram, right? The ram was offered to God as compensation. If you go back to Genesis 20, somewhere there, you will read about Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac. When Abraham was about to sacrifice Isaac, a replacement was provided. The replacement was a ram, right? And what does Abraham say there? In this place, it will be provided, and in that same place. Jesus was provided for us. So there's a lot of very minute details that really tell about Christ to us. So as you read other books, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, even as you read the accounts of the life of Joseph, the life of David, the life of Moses, I want to encourage you to ask these questions. Does this section foreshadow Christ? or His work? If so, how does it do that? In what way this example is falling short, and in what way is Christ better? This, I promise you, it won't be just a futile exercise. It's, it's not just a matter of thinking and being intelligent, but it is a matter of knowing Christ our Savior and even understanding His work better. So some of you might say, Jetty, I'm no theologian. I cannot do this. I don't have the resources. Uh, But you know, today we live in an age where we don't need a degree to have a collection of books. We just need a cell phone. We have a free Bible app, uh, free Bible versions in your own languages. Uh, And today's Bibles, they come with references. Each verse has a reference. And if you have a phone you don't even have to flip pages, you just have to click, and it takes you there, and then you can come back. So it's really easy to follow some, some of these connections, and you even have free commentaries. right? So the last complaint is, I'm, I'm not wise enough to do this, and the Bible answers that question for you. If you, if you think you lack the wisdom, ask for it, as James says and God will give you the wisdom that is necessary. And I will also offer you the option to ask me questions, and I think ask anyone questions later on today if you have any that come up. And uh, really, knowing God is a lifelong pursuit, and the only way to do that is to read God's Word. This is God's revelation to us. And I want to encourage you to read and study the Bible in this new year, Uh, even the parts that you consider boring. Uh, The instructions for the five offerings that we saw today might be considered boring, but they picture Christ. I'm not saying that this makes the Bible entertaining, but it does make it amazing. Again, that's not because there are some hidden details and you have to put some puzzle pieces together, but because the entirety of the Bible speaks one unified message about Christ, about the truth that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is the perfect and only sacrifice, who achieved all that this sacrifice only pictured, He he achieved all of it on the cross. He atoned for our sin, dying as a substitute for us sinners. He shed His blood as He suffered the judgment for our sins. He restores us and will bring a complete restoration of creation. He has reconciled us to God and to one another, and He gives us His body, which was broken for us as bread that grants us everlasting life. As we take part in the communion today, let us think of these things. Let us receive the bread and uh, I think it's juice today, Uh, the bread and the juice with thanksgiving. Uh, Let us remember the work of Christ, the complete work of Christ by which we're saved. And may the grace of God be with us all, always. Amen.